السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ reciting the tashahud ta'awuz and surah al-fatiha hazrat khalifatul masih the fifth ayyadahullahu ta'ala binasrihi al-aziz stated that in the previous sermon i spoke on hazrat musa bin umar radiyallahu ta'ala anhu and some of the accounts from his life still remained which i shall narrate today hazrat muslimaud radiyallahu ta'ala anhu While speaking about Hazrat Musa bin Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu being sent as a missionary to Medina and also in regards to the services he rendered he states The Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him began to receive revelations which hinted at the near possibility of migration from Mecca Also some idea of the place they were to migrate to was also given to the holy prophet peace be upon him it was a town of wells and date groves and initially the holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam thought of yamama as the location of migration but soon this thought was dismissed the holy prophet peace be upon him then waited in the assurance that whatever place they were destined to go would certainly become the cradle of Islam. During this time, the annual Hajj drew near, and from all parts of Arabia pilgrims began to arrive in Mecca. And as was his practice, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, went wherever he found a group of people. and expounded to them the teaching of one god and informed them to give up excesses of all kinds and prepare for the kingdom of god some of them listened with great interest and would then leave and there were others who wished to listen but were sent away by the meccans and then there were some who had already made up their minds but were stopped to ridicule the holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam
The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was in the valley of Mina when he saw a group of six or seven people who were the citizens of Medina. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, found that they belonged to the Khazraj tribe, one in alliance with the Jews. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, asked them if they would listen to what he had to say. And since these people had heard of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and were interested, so they agreed and sat in his company. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, spent some time telling them that the kingdom of God was at hand and that the idols were going to disappear and that the idea of one God was due to triumph and that piety and purity were once again going to rule. Thereafter, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah the Almighty be upon him, asked them that would they not in Medina welcome this message? The group became much impressed, and they accepted the message and promised that on their return to Medina, they would confer with others and report next year whether Medina would be willing to receive Muslim refugees from Mecca. Subsequently, they returned and conferred with their friends and relations. At the time, there were two Arab and three Jewish tribes in Medina. The Arab tribes were the Aus and the Khazraj, and the Jewish tribes were the Banu Quraiza, the Banu Nazir, and the Banu Qanqa. The Aus and the Khazraj tribe were at war, and the Banu Quraiza and the Banu Nazir were in alliance with the Aus, and the Banu Qanqa were with the Khazraj tribe. And so, tired of unending warfare, they were inclined to peace. And at last they agreed to acknowledge the Khazraj chief, Abdullah bin Ubay bin Salul, as the king of Medina. Since they had alliances with the Jews, the Aus and the Khazraj tribe had heard of the prophecies in the Bible. And when the Jews would speak of their troubles and affliction, they would also mention that they had heard of the advent of a prophet like unto Moses, and that his advent was near, and that the Jews used to say that it was to mark their return to power and the destruction of their enemies. Thus, when the people of Medina who had travelled for the pilgrimage heard of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him's claim, they became impressed and began to wonder whether this Meccan Prophet was the same Prophet they had heard of from the Jews. And so, many young men were impressed by the truthfulness of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him's teaching, and the prophecies which they had previously heard from the Jews helped them in believing in the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. Hence, on the occasion of the next Hajj, Twelve men from Medina came to Mecca with the intention to join the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him's faith. Ten of these belonged to the Khazraj tribe and two to the Aus tribe. They all met the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, in the valley of Mina 
and holding the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him's hand, they solemnly declared their belief in the oneness of God and their resolve to abstain from all common evils and immoralities, such as theft, killing their daughters, and from making false accusations against one another. They also resolved to obey the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, in all good things. And then upon returning to Medina, these individuals started informing others of their new faith with even greater zeal. The idols from the houses of Medina were taken out of their niches and thrown onto the streets. Those who used to bow before images began to hold their heads high and they resolved to bow to none except the one God. And the Jews wondered that centuries of friendship, exposition and debate had failed to produce the change which Islam had produced in a few days and the message of the one God penetrated into the hearts of the people of Medina. The people of Medina would go to the few Muslims in their midst and make inquiries about Islam and ask them to teach them their faith. But these handful of Muslims could not cope with the large number of inquiries, nor did they know enough about its teaching. They therefore decided to send a request to the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, to send them someone to teach Islam. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, agreed to send Musab radiallahu ta'ala anhu, who was one of the Muslims who had just returned from his migration to Abyssinia. And thus, Musab radiallahu ta'ala anhu was the first missionary of Islam to go out of Mecca. Then, at another occasion, while speaking on the same subject, Hazrat Muslim has stated that when the people of Medina came to know about Islam, some of them met the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, during the pilgrimage of Hajj and became convinced of his truthfulness. They returned to their people and said to them that the messenger of whose advent the Jews of Medina used to speak of has taken place in Mecca. Hence, their hearts became inclined towards the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. And the following Hajj, they sent a delegation to the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. This delegation professed their belief and pledged their allegiance to the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, after some discussion. And since the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was facing fierce opposition in Mecca at the time, this meeting took place in a valley away from the site of the Meccans. And as the bath also took place there, it is therefore referred to as Bath akbar And Akbar means a valley or a mountain that is difficult to manoeuvre through, or a difficult mountainous path. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, gave them the charge of organizing the believers of Medina and advised them to propagate Islam. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, also sent one of his young companions, Musa bin Umar ta'ala anhu, to assist them and to teach the faith to Muslims. Before departing, the delegation also extended an invitation to the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, stating, that should he ever need to leave Mecca, he should come to Medina. When these people returned to Medina, Islam spread in Medina within a very short period of time. Hence, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, sent some more companions to them, 
including Hazrat Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. After that, upon receiving the instructions to migrate, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, also travelled to Medina. And upon his arrival, all the idolaters of Medina accepted Islam within a very short period of time. After the migration to Medina, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, established a bond of brotherhood, a muakhat, between Hazrat Musa bin Umar and Hazrat Abu Ayyub Ansari radiallahu anhumah. Hazrat Musa bin Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu participated in the battles of Badr and Uhud. And during the battles of Badr and Uhud, the main flag of the Muhajireen was being carried by Hazrat Musa bin Umar. During the battle of Badr, the main flag of the Muhajireen that was being carried by Hazrat Musa bin Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu was given to him by the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. Then there is another similar narration which has been recorded in Seerat Khatam al-Nabiyyin by Hazrat Mizza Bashir Ahmad Sahib radiallahu ta'ala anhum. He states that during the battle of Ahud as well, the flag of the Muhajireen was held by Hazrat Musa bin Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhum. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, began to arrange the Muslim army and appointed separate commanders for the various sections of the army. On this occasion, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, received news that the flag of the army of the Quraysh was in the hands of Talha. Talha was from that dynasty who under the administration of Qusay bin Kilab, the paramount ancestor of the Quraysh, held the right of standard-bearing in representation of the Quraysh during wars. Upon becoming aware of this, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, stated that we are more worthy of demonstrating national loyalty. And then, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, took the flag of the Muhajireen from Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu and entrusted it to Musa bin Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, who was also a member of the very same dynasty to which Talha belonged to. Hazrat Musa bin Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu was martyred during the battle of Ahud. And on the day of Ahud, Hazrat Musa bin Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu was fighting in front of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and was martyred during the battle. And he was martyred by Ibn Qamir. In the books of history, it is mentioned that the flag bearer during the Battle of Ahud, i.e., Hazrat Musa bin Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, protected the flag of Islam in an excellent manner. Hazrat Musa radiallahu ta'ala anhu was carrying the flag on the day of Ahud, when Ibn Qamir, who was riding a horse, attacked with his sword and struck the right hand of Hazrat Musab radiallahu ta'ala anhu, with which he was holding the flag, and severed the hand. Upon this, Hazrat Musab radiallahu ta'ala anhu started reciting the following verse, وَمَا مُحَمَّدٌ إِلَّا رَسُولٌ قَدْ خَلَتْ مِنْ قَبْلِهِ الرُّسُلُ And Muhammad is only a messenger. Verily, all messengers have passed away before him. Hazrat Musab then placed the flag in his left hand, and Ibn Qamiya struck the left hand and severed it as well. Upon which, Hazrat Musab radiallahu ta'ala anhu embraced the flag of Islam with both of his arms and held it to his chest. Following this, Ibn Qamiya attacked Hazrat Musab radiallahu ta'ala anhu with a spear for a third time, which pierced his chest. The spear broke, and Hazrat Musab fell to the ground. Upon this, two individuals from the tribe of Banu Abdiddar, i.e. Suwabid bin Saad bin Harmala, 
and Abu Rum bin Umar stepped forward. And Abu Rum bin Umar grabbed the flag and it remained in his hands until the Muslims returned and entered Medina. Hazrat Musab was 40 years old or just over 40 at the time of his martyrdom. Whilst mentioning this particular incident, Hazrat Mizza Bashir Ahmed Sahib states in Sirat Khatamun Nabiyyin that the army of the Quraysh had pretty much surrounded them from all four fronts and continued to crush the Muslims moment by moment through repeated attacks. Yet, even after all this, the Muslims probably would have regained themselves shortly thereafter. But the outrage was that a bold warrior from among the Quraysh named Abdullah bin Qamir attacked Musa bin Umar i.e. the flag bearer of the Muslims, and severed his right hand with the blow of his sword. Musab immediately clutched the flag with his other hand and advanced to confront Ibn Qamir. But in his second blow, the other hand was severed as well. Upon this, Musab joined both of his severed hands together in an endeavour to keep the Islamic flag from falling and held it to his chest, upon which Ibn Qamir struck him a third time and this time Musab was martyred and fell to the ground. As far as the flag was concerned, another Muslim immediately advanced and took hold of it. But since the size and figure of Musab resembled that of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, Ibn Qamiyah thought that he had slain the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. And it is also probable that this scheme of his was merely guided by motives of mischief and deceit. But in any case, when Musab was martyred and fell, Ibn Qamiyah exclaimed that he had slain Muhammad and upon hearing this news, the Muslims lost whatever composure was left in them and their force was scattered completely. Therefore, this was also a major reason the Muslims lost their composure during the Battle of Ahud, but in any case, they regrouped later. When the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, approached the body of Hazrat Musab it was turned face down. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, stood beside it and recited the following verse. من المؤمنين الرجال صدقوا ما عهد الله عليه فمنهم من قضى نحبه ومنهم من ينتظر وما بدلوا تبديلا That is, among the believers are men who have been true to the covenant they made with Allah there are some of them who have fulfilled their vow and some who still wait and they have not changed their condition in the least. Following this, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, stated Inna Rasulallahi yashhadu annakum ash-shuhadaw indallahi yawm al-qiyamah That is, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam bears witness that even on the Day of Judgment they will be counted as martyrs in the sight of Allah. Thereafter, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, addressed the companions and said, You should visit him and send your salutations upon him. By that being in whose hand lies my life, he will answer the salutations of everyone who will send salutations upon him until the Day of Judgment. Hazrat Musab radiallahu ta'ala anhu's brothers, Hazrat Abu Rum bin Umar, Hazrat Suwabid bin Saad and Hazrat Amir bin Rabia radiallahu anhum lowered him into the grave.
In Sirat Khatamun Abiyin, Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmad Sahib radiyallahu ta'ala anhu mentions this in the following manner. That one honorable man from among the martyrs of Uhud was Musa bin Umar radiyallahu ta'ala anhu. He was the first muhajir who came to Medina as a missionary of Islam. And in the era of the Jahiliyyah, i.e. prior to the advent of Islam, among the young men of Mecca, Musa was considered to be the most well-dressed and elegant and lived in great comfort and luxury. After accepting Islam, his condition was transformed completely. In fact, there is a narration that on one occasion, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, saw him dressed in a cloth which was covered with numerous patches. At this, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was reminded of his earlier life. And the eyes of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, began to glisten with tears. When Musab radiallahu ta'ala anhu was martyred at Ahad, he did not even have enough cloth by which his body could be fully covered. If his feet were covered, his head would become exposed. And if his head was covered, his feet would become bare. As such, according to the instruction of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, his head was covered with cloth and his feet were covered with grass. Then there is a narration of Sahih Bukhari which states that food was brought before Hazrat Abdul Rahman bin Auf to break the fast which he was observing at the time. Upon this he said that Musa bin Umar was martyred and he was better than me but only one sheet was available to shroud him at the time of his burial. It was so small that when his head was covered, his feet remained uncovered and if his feet were covered, his head remained uncovered. The narrator states that he believes Abdul Rahman bin Auf also said that Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu was martyred and he was better than me. Thereafter he stated that then the bounties of this world were bestowed upon us generously. Or perhaps he said that we were granted that which was destined for us and I am afraid that the reward of our good deeds may have been bestowed to us in this world. Thereupon he began to cry and left the food untouched. In other words, he became emotional as his attention was on the fear of Allah the Almighty and the treatment he would receive from God in the hereafter. For if they had been granted bounties in this world, then perhaps they may not receive anything in the next life. Hazrat Khubab bin Art radiallahu ta'ala anhu narrates that we migrated with the Holy Prophet peace be upon him seeking the pleasure of Allah and expecting our reward from him. Some of us died without enjoying anything of it. Among them was Hazrat Musa bin Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu and there are those among us whose fruits have ripened and they are choosing from them. Hazrat Musa bin Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu was martyred in the battle of Ahud and there was only one cloth available for us to cover him in. And when we covered his head with it, his feet were exposed, and when we were covered his feet with it, his head was uncovered. And so, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, told us to cover his head and put some izkhar, i.e. fragrant grass, over his feet. There is also a narration of Tirmazi in which Hazrat Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu ta'ala anhu narrates that the Holy Prophet peace be upon him stated that every Prophet has been granted seven noble companions. The narrator states that perhaps the word used was guardians instead of companions. However, the Holy Prophet peace be upon him stated that I have been granted fourteen such individuals and so we asked who these individuals were. 
The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, stated that they are my two grandsons, Hassan and Hussein, Jafar, Hamza, Abu Bakr, Umar, Musa bin Umar, Bilal, Salman, Miqdad, Abu Zar, Ammar and Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiyallahu ta'ala anhu. Hazrat Amir bin Rabiyah radiyallahu ta'ala anhu relates that his father would often mention that from the time Hazrat Musa bin Umair radiyallahu ta'ala anhu accepted Islam to the battle of Uhud, he remained my close friend and companion. He was alongside us in both migrations to Abyssinia and he was my companion during the migration. And I have never seen someone else as well-mannered as him and nor did he engage in any dispute with anyone. When the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, returned to Medina after the Battle of Ahud, he met Hazrat Hamna bin Tajahsh radiallahu ta'ala anha, the wife of Hazrat Musa bin Umar, and the people had informed her that her brother Hazrat Abdullah bin Jahsh had been martyred. Upon this she replied by saying, Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun, that to Allah we belong and to him shall we return, and prayed for him to be granted forgiveness. Then they informed her of the martyrdom of her maternal uncle Hazrat Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu, to which she again replied, Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun, and prayed for his forgiveness. Thereafter, the people informed her that her husband, Hazrat Musa bin Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, had also been martyred, upon which she began to weep and became restless. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, then said that her husband holds a special status in the eyes of his wife. There is another tradition in which Hazrat Hamna bin Tajahsh radiallahu ta'ala anha is mentioned. It states, and when she was told that her brother was martyred, she replied that may Allah have mercy on him, and said, Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun. The people then said that her husband had also been killed, to which she said that woe be unto me. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, then said that a relationship between a wife and a husband is like no other. Hazrat Khalifatul Masih the fourth, rahimahullah, has also mentioned this incident of the martyrdom of Hazrat Musa bin Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu and the emotions of his wife in his own words. And he states that the male and female companions who had more than one close relative martyred would be told gradually to avoid being overwhelmed with the sudden news. When Hazrat Hamna bin Tajahsh radiallahu ta'ala anha the sister of Hazrat Abdullah bin Jahsh radiallahu ta'ala anhu came to the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, told her that, O Hamna, be patient and seek the reward of Allah the Almighty. She replied that, O Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, what should I seek the reward for? The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, stated for your uncle Hamza. Hazrat Hamna then replied, Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun. May Allah have mercy on him and grant him forgiveness through this martyrdom. Thereafter, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, repeated, O Hamna, be patient and seek the reward of Allah the Almighty. Again she replied, What should I seek the reward for? The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, stated, For your brother Abdullah. Hazrat Hamna radiallahu ta'ala anha again replied, Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun. May Allah have mercy on him and grant him forgiveness by means of this martyrdom. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, once again repeated that, O Hamna, be patient and seek the reward of Allah the Almighty. She replied, O Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, what should I seek the reward for? The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, said, for Musa bin Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, to which she said, Woe be unto me.
After hearing this, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, said, Indeed, the husband has a right over his wife that no one else possesses. However, why did you utter such words? Hazrat Hamna radiallahu ta'ala anha replied, that, O Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, it occurred to me that his children have become orphans, which worried me, and it was in this state that I utter these words. Having listened to this, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, prayed for the children of Hazrat Musa bin Umar, saying, O Allah, be their guardian and protector, treat them with kindness and affection, and take good care of them. And God Almighty indeed did take good care of them, as the prayer of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was accepted. This brings a close to the accounts from the life of Hazrat Musa bin Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And inshallah, the next companion will be mentioned in the following sermon. I would now like to draw the attention of the Jamaat to the current outbreak of the coronavirus. And we must all adhere to the precautionary measures that are set out by the governments and the health departments. From the outset, after consultation with some homeopaths, I advised about the use of certain homeopathic remedies as a precautionary measure as well as for treatment. These medicines should be taken as this is one possible treatment. And it cannot be said for certain that this is the exact cure for it or that these homeopathic remedies are for the virus, because little is known about this exact strain of the virus. But in any case, it is still the closest form of treatment in homeopathy for this type of outbreak. May Allah the Almighty grant cure through them. Thus, we ought to use them, and at the same time, we must adhere to the precautionary measures that have been outlined as well. In regards to this, it is advised that one should avoid large gatherings and people coming to the mosque should err on the side of caution and even if they have a slight fever and feel aches and pains in their body or if they are sneezing and are suffering from the flu then they should not come to the mosque. There are certain etiquettes of the mosque and among them is that if one is suffering from something such as a contagious illness which can affect others then they should avoid coming to the mosque. Then, in these days especially and generally as well, when sneezing, one ought to cover one's face with their hands or use a handkerchief. Some worshippers complain that while standing in prayer, certain people neither place their hands over their face, nor do they use a handkerchief when they sneeze. Moreover, they sneeze with such force that some droplets also fall on them. Thus, people that are worshipping around you also have certain rights. Therefore, everyone ought to be mindful of this. And as mentioned earlier, that everyone ought to be more careful about this, particularly in these days. Furthermore, one preventative measure mentioned by the doctors is that one's hands and mouth should always be clean. And if one's hands are unclean, they should not touch their face, or ensure that they use hand sanitizers, or they should wash their hands regularly.
However, for a Muslim, as is in our case, we pray five times in the day and also perform the ablution in the correct manner, which includes cleaning the nose with water, etc., then this high standard of hygiene is such that it can compensate the shortage of sanitizers. Because as it has been reported these days, that owing to panic buying, entire shelves in supermarkets have been emptied of such products. But in any case, if the ablution is performed in the correct manner, then this can not only help towards physical cleanliness, but one who performs the ablution would subsequently offer their prayers, which then in turn becomes a means for their spiritual cleanliness as well. Moreover, in these days we must pay particular attention towards our prayers. And since I spoke about the etiquettes of the mosque, I would also like to say that especially in the winter and also at other times of the year as well, those who wear socks to the mosque ought to wear a clean pair of socks each day and they ought to wash them. If there is a foul odour from one's socks or feet, this can be a source of discomfort for those around that person or it will cause discomfort for those who are standing for prayer and who would perform the sajdai prostration in the row behind. We should be very mindful of this. In fact, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, has also instructed that one should not eat anything that gives off a strong odour, such as garlic or raw onion, and come to the mosque. At times one belches, or if one has bad breath, it is unpleasant for other worshippers and also spoils the atmosphere of the mosque. In fact, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has advised to wear fragrance when coming to the mosque. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was so careful in this matter that he in fact stated that one should not pass through the mosque with raw meat, let alone someone sat inside the mosque with such odours. Therefore, it is vital for every worshipper to be mindful of their personal hygiene as well as the cleanliness of the mosque. However, this does not mean that one ought to use this as an excuse to stop coming to the mosque. Rather, everyone ought to assess their own conditions and make a decision based on their own judgment. But always remember that only Allah the Almighty knows what is concealed in people's hearts. Thus, if one feels ill, then they ought to seek assurance by consulting a doctor in order to identify the cause of illness. But in any case, one should avoid going to the mosque for one or two days. Furthermore, it is being advised that one should refrain from shaking hands and this is also extremely important as one does not know what the hands are contaminated with. And although shaking hands increases the bond with one another and stills mutual love, however, owing to the current outbreak these days, it is better to avoid the practice. And even those people who previously raised an outcry that we do not shake hands with men or women of the opposite gender have themselves become a target of amusement. For instance, a minister in the cabinet of the German Chancellor refused to shake her hand and this has been depicted in a humorous manner. And even a member of parliament in the UK has commended the fact that they are abstaining from shaking hands owing to the coronavirus. He further said that shaking of hands was not even part of their tradition. 
In fact, the tradition was to either salute or take off their hats out of respect. In fact, he further stated that in shaking hands or embracing women or trying to kiss them, they are not even aware if these gestures are even welcomed by them and are thus compelling them to follow suit. Thus, they were not willing to adhere to the commandments of Allah the Almighty, but nonetheless, the spread of this outbreak has drawn their attention towards this injunction. But may Allah the Almighty also enable them to draw closer to Him as well. They greatly oppose this injunction of Allah the Almighty, which we would explain to them in a loving manner, that it is not permissible for us to greet the opposite gender in this manner and shake their hands. But in their case, it is reported that in various organizations and other places, they have shunned this practice and at times they have done so in a rude manner. We, however, explained to them courteously and with love that this prohibition was owing to our teachings, but in their case, out of their fear of coronavirus, they have abstained from this practice and at times even forsaking common courtesy. Thus, this epidemic has brought about the reformation to some degree in this regard, and as stated earlier, that may this reformation enable them to draw closer to Allah the Almighty. Allah the Almighty knows best to what extent this epidemic will spread and what He has decreed. However, if this virus has emerged owing to the divine wrath of God, and just as we have seen in the present age, that since the advent of the promised Messiah alayhi salatu wasalam, there has been a significant increase in the number of epidemics, diseases, earthquakes and storms, then one ought to turn towards Allah the Almighty more than ever before in order to be safeguarded from these. Moreover, every Ahmadi ought to pay particular attention towards prayers these days and also to improve their spiritual condition. One also ought to pray for the world in general that may Allah the Almighty grant them guidance and instead of immersing themselves in worldly endeavours and being unmindful of Allah the Almighty may He enable them to recognise their true Creator. After this, I shall lead some funeral prayers in absentia. The first is of respected Tanzil Ahmed Bhatt, son of Akil Ahmed Bhatt Sahib. He was a young 11-year-old child who passed away on 27th February 2020. And in fact, in my opinion, he was a martyr. The background of this incident is that it took place in Shadra colony of Delegate Lahore when the neighbour of Tanzil Ahmad Batsahe brutally killed him on 27th February Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun Verily to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. The edicts of the clerics in Pakistan have ensured that it is easy to kill an Ahmadi owing to any reason. And this killing is also as a result of this and for this reason I count the daily departed among the martyrs. Whatever the reason for this killing may be, but there is always an underlying hatred against Ahmadiyyat, and Tanzil Ahmed Bhatt was an innocent child who was not at fault for anything according to the reports received thus far.
The details of this incident is that on 27th February, the mother of Tanzil Ahmed Bhatt Sahib sent him to the neighbor's house to bring his younger sister's toy doll, which she had left there. And from this it shows that either two families had mutual relations, but Allah knows what was the reason for this killing. The younger sister had left the toy doll at the neighbor's house the day before, and Tanzil Ahmed Bhatt was sent to collect it. When the child did not return after some time, the mother went to the neighbor's house herself, and initially the neighbors did not open the door, but after some time when they eventually opened the door, upon inquiry the neighbor said that he took the doll and had left. And so the mother of the young child informed her husband Akil Sahib, who immediately began searching for their son with the help of the local Jamaat and also reported it to the police. However, when they checked the CCTV cameras of their street, the child was seen entering the house, but not seen leaving from there. Upon this, with the help of the local police, the neighbor's house was searched, in which they found the body of the child in a trunk. The police then mentioned that the suspect's husband had already informed them that his wife had killed the child and hid him in the trunk. The woman, along with the son of the owner of the house, killed the young child and has now even admitted to the crime. Tanzil Ahmed Bhatt was born on 20th November 2009 in Lahore and was part of the Vakfino scheme. He was a very active member of Atalul Ahmadiyya organization and would regularly take part in all the Jamaat programs. He was counted amongst the intelligent students in his class and was studying in the fourth year. And after his demise, his results came and he stood first in his class after attaining 729 marks out of 750. The deceased mother states that Tanzil was the most obedient out of all my children. If he ever wanted to do something, he would always seek permission from me first. And if any of the neighbours or an office bearer asked him to do something, he would immediately do it and would never refuse. In fact, at times, even the neighbour who killed him would get her work done from him, and he would always show obedience to her and fulfil any work she gave him. His school teachers and Jamaat office bearers were all very happy with him and would always praise him. He would regularly watch programmes on MTA, especially programmes for children and the sermons. He would regularly attend the mosque for prayers, and if ever his father would return from the factory very tired and would be unwilling to go to the mosque, he would persist and force him to take him to the mosque. The young child leaves behind his father, Akil Ahmed Bhatt, mother Naila Akil, and four siblings, which include two brothers and two sisters. May Allah the Almighty grant him his nearness and grant the murderers a punishment they truly deserve. And may God Almighty also grant patience and comfort to the parents. The second funeral is of Brigadier Bashir Ahmed Saib, who was the former Amir of Rawalpindi district. He was the son of Dr. Muhammad Abdullah Sahib and passed away on 16th February at the age of 87. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun.
Surely to Allah we belong, and to Him shall we return. The deceased was a Musi and is survived by his wife, two sons, and three daughters. Brigadier Bashir Ahmed Sahib was born in 1931 to an extremely devout Ahmadi family in the district of Gujarat. His father, Dr. Muhammad Abdullah Sahib, did the birth and entered the fold of Ahmadiyyat. The deceased acquired his primary education from Qadiyan and passed his matriculation exams in 1947. And in 1952, he entered the Pakistan Army after a six-week-long course in the Pakistan's military academy. And in 1982, he retired from the army as a brigadier. Thereafter, he served the country by working as the head of a policy institute in Islamabad. And thus, he had the opportunity to serve his country for 66 years. In regards to his Jamaat services, I appointed him as the Amir of Rawalpindi Jamaat in 2012 and he continued to serve as the Amir of the Rawalpindi district and city until 9th February 2020. His transfer to Rawalpindi took place in 1979 and for 16 years he had the opportunity to serve as Naib Amir and Secretary Talim for the Rawalpindi Jamaat. He was one of the directors for the Fazli Umar Foundation and part of many committees of Majlis Ashura. The deceased rendered his services with utmost sincerity and devotion. He was a very sociable person and would greatly serve others and wholeheartedly help those in need. In regards to his Jamaat services, he always upheld his principles and was very punctual. He worked with great efficiency and would also advise the same to his fellow workers. And he would never tolerate indolence and lethargy, be it matters of faith or any other work. In any task he would assign to the members of his executive committee, he would always follow up nearer to the time. He was extremely devout in his supplications and prayers and had great love for Khilafat. Even until his advanced age, his memory remained sharp. He had great love for the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and the promised Messiah, alayhi salatu wasalam, and would always express his gratitude to Allah the Almighty for enabling him to be an Ahmadi. He would always have the Holy Quran, a hadith of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and books of the promised Messiah, alayhi salatu wasalam, by his bedside, and had studied many books. He would financially help the poor and needy with great generosity and in a discreet manner. And he would especially show great concern for fulfilling the needs of widows and was always ever ready to help them. Many individuals and entire families were benefiting from his continuous financial help. He would help to such an extent that someone mentioned that his shop had burnt down and he had suffered quite a big loss. However, the deceased discreetly gave him some money and told him not to tell anyone about it. When this individual went home and looked at the money, it was 200,000 rupees. When his business restarted, he tried to return the money. However, he told him that he'd not give this money with the intention of taking it back. The missionary of Rawalpindi, Tahir Mahmood Sahib, writes, Amir Sahib had a very composed disposition. He was very compassionate, spoke very little and extremely devout in his prayers. On Friday, he would come very early to Evane Tawheed for the Friday prayers and would offer his Nawafil prayers, i.e. voluntary prayers, with great humility and fervency. Those who would hastily finish their prayers, he would narrate to them accounts of the companions and the other elders of Qadian where he grew up. 
He would express his pleasure at those who would take time in observing their prayers. He would always remind them of the traditional prayers that one should read. And he himself would also pray and spend a long time in his prayers and would advise others towards observing prayers as well. He would always help the needy and his friends. And this is a trait which everyone has mentioned. And if anyone would thank him for this act of his, he would stop them from doing so. He had great love for the books of the promised Messiah and would share its insights in the meetings. And the secretary for the Fazli Umar Foundation, Nasir Shamsahib, writes that he served as a director for the Fazli Umar Foundation from the early part of 2011 till the end of 2019. And despite his old age and weakness in health, he would regularly attend the board of directors' meetings. He further writes that we greatly benefited from his prayers and advice for a long time. The deceased was an extremely devout and righteous individual and a great loyal servant of Khilafat. He further writes that one particular quality which I personally was witness to was that he had a strong link with Allah the Almighty and observed his prayers with utmost humility and sincerity. May Allah the Almighty grant him his forgiveness and mercy and may he elevate his station and enable his progeny to continue on his good deeds. The third funeral is of Dr. Hamiduddin Saib, who lived in 121 Jimbe Gakubal, Faisalabad. He passed away on 29th February 2020. Inna lillahi wa inna Surely to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. Ahmadiyyad entered the family of the deceased through his father, respected Muhammaduddin Sahib, and respected Fatihuddin Sahib, who belonged to Farisa Gurdaspur. Both did the bath together during the time of Hazrat Khalifatul Masih II. The deceased was born in Qadian, and his mother's paternal uncle, Hazrat Maulana Muhammad Ibrahim Sahib Qadiani, was a companion of the Promised Messiah. He was a great scholar in the subject of Christianity and served as a teacher in Madrasa Ahmadiyya for a very long time. After the partition of India, the deceased family migrated and settled in Faisalabad. The deceased was a dispenser by profession and in this way he had the opportunity to serve mankind in his entire area. He would treat the needy for free. He led an extremely simple life, was very righteous, regularly observed his prayers from his childhood and was very respectful of Islamic customs and traditions. He had great love for Khilafat and was extremely compassionate and had great trust in Allah the Almighty. He was an extremely honest and truthful individual. He would never refuse help to anyone and would always look out for others and seek to help them. The deceased had the opportunity to serve the Jamaat in various roles. One of his sons is Karimuddin Sham Sahib, who is a missionary and currently serving in Tanzania and he was not able to attend the funeral of his father owing to his Jamaat commitments. One of his son-in-laws is also a missionary, and another son-in-law is a Muallim of the Jamaat. Also, one of his grandsons is currently studying in Jamia Ahmadiyya Rabwa and is in his final year. Similarly, he has many other grandsons and granddaughters who are part of the Blessed Vakfino scheme. May Allah the Almighty grant him his forgiveness and mercy and elevate his station. And may he also enable his progeny to continue to fulfill the due rights of their bad with loyalty. And as I mentioned earlier, that after the Friday prayers, I shall lead their funeral prayers in absentia.